announcements. There we go. Revelation chapter 10 today. Just about halfway through the book of Revelation, if you count by chapters, right? So uh, I guess next week we'll be slightly over halfway. And we've begun to see the blowing of the seven trumpets starting last week. Uh, And with that, the events that take place when the trumpets begin to sound, it's when the supernatural world that is around us all the time suddenly is made absolutely plain as day to those who are there on the earth, who remain on the earth. Uh, The the supernatural invades the natural, uh, right down to demons being released from a supernatural prison and given five months to torment all those on the earth who are not marked with the seal of God. And uh, we talked a lot about that last week, that they're like locusts, only uh, rather than mindless eating machines, they are uh, under the authority of the destroyer. And so uh, the devil is the one who is leading them or in charge of them, giving them instructions, and they are sent out over the whole earth. We also saw at the sixth trumpet uh, four, I believe, fallen angels that were also imprisoned only for some reason, in the river Euphrates, and they're set free uh, to gather an army of 200 million, and, which is a massive number. I mean, we, we use words like million and billion all the time, but honestly, is, is I try and imagine an army of 200 million, how, how large, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. And even John, when he hears the number, he has to stop and go, and I heard the number. It's like, that's not a mistake or a misprint. I heard that that was the number, 200 million. Uh, some estimate, uh, who study such things, that there may not have even been 200 million people on the planet Earth in that day. And uh, so the idea, even more so then, would have been staggering. Uh, and there said, this army that's gathered is supernaturally empowered, I believe demonically empowered, and they go out and kill one-third of, the, of mankind that remains. And again, keep in mind that that's after the rapture, so all Christians taken away the chaos that would come along with that. Uh, And then a worldwide earthquake, worldwide uh, tsunamis that have taken place. And so there's been all kinds of loss of life up to this point. And after all that, this army is set loose to destroy a third of mankind that remains. And yet after all of that, the chapter ends by saying that those who were not killed by this army did not repent of their deeds. I mean, you'd think, after seeing all these supernatural things, and, I, and we probably all heard someone at some point say, you know what, if I saw a miracle, I'd believe. If I saw something supernatural, I'd believe. If I saw an angel or a demon, then I'd believe. No, you wouldn't. Because these people will see all of that and more. And they will refuse to repent and refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Um, and so now we come to chapter 10. And it's interesting because just like we had the six or the seven seals, and the first six of them took place, and then there was this pause, right? We have this one chapter where it pauses from the breaking of the seals. It's the same with the trumpets. So we've had six of the trumpets sound. Uh, but before the seventh trumpet sounds, there is this pause that takes place. And so we're going to see events taking place in heaven 
that John witnesses, but those on earth are unaware of, of what's taking place. And, and remember in Revelation, we're going to do this constantly, where we get the view of heaven and we get the view of earth, right? Sometimes we get what's taking place on earth and they view it from heaven, but those are the two perspectives that we jump back and forth uh, between throughout the whole book. So let's pray one more time and we'll get into chapter 10. Lord God, as always, we have come here to hear from you and from your word. We pray that, Holy Spirit, you would teach us today, lead us, and and bring forth the the truth of your word and the application of it in our lives. Uh, Give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So chapter 10 of the book of Revelation, starting in verse 1, says, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow was, was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, the seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven voices, uh, the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them down. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, who created the heavens and the things that are in them, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no, there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declared to his servants the prophets. Now, uh, John sees another mighty angel coming down from heaven, and just the description of what he sees is powerful. You get the idea that this guy is breathtaking. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion, uh, really a lot of uh, people have really two main thoughts of who this angel is. And uh, some people believe that it's actually Jesus. Uh, and, and you can kind of understand why they might think that. And it talks about him being clothed with a cloud. We know that Jesus returns for his church on the clouds. Uh, he holds a book, a little book in his hand. Jesus held the scroll in his hand. And the description, some of the other things that are drawn out there are similar to what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. Um, and so you can see why some people go, well, I think this is Jesus. It's just he's being described to us in a different way. Uh, but I think there's some really good reasons, uh, even more good reasons to say, no, this is just an angel. Now, a powerful angel, uh, one with great authority. But it is not Jesus. Uh, first of all, whenever uh, in the Old Testament, Jesus would appear to men, uh, like Joshua or like Gideon, and there's others. Uh, it's called a Christophany, right? where Jesus Christ appeared in form uh, to mankind. And in a couple of those cases, he identifies himself, uh, Joshua being one, as the, arm, or the angel excuse me, the commander of the Lord's army 
or the angel of the Lord, right? Uh, but he's never, never just referred to as an angel or one of the angels or yet another angel. It's the angel of the Lord, right? And that's important because, again, the, the word angel simply means messenger. And, and so the authority that he is given by that title in the Old Testament is the ultimate messenger of God, right? Which Jesus is, right? If you want to know the Father, look at Jesus, right? Jesus said that I and the Father are one. He's the ultimate messenger of the Lord. But again, never referred to as another angel or an angel, always the angel of the Lord. Um, and this, John makes a point of saying, another mighty angel. The other reason is that John has seen Jesus, has has had this revelation of Jesus. First of all, he knew Jesus on the earth. John walked with him for three and a half years. He he sat and ate meals with him and talked with him. He saw the way he treated people and loved people. And he saw how he died and how he was resurrected. All those things he saw with his own eyes. But here in Revelation, we find that he's now received the revelation of Jesus in this amazing description in chapter 1, right? And, and so he's seen him there, but he's also seen him as the Alpha and the Omega all the way to the Lamb who was slain. So John has seen this extreme description of Jesus. He knows Jesus really well. And he describes this as another angel. Right? If, if this was Jesus in any form, John would have known it, and it would have been made clear. Uh, so again, that's a, a little bit of a side point, but I think it's important, we, again, to keep the chronology and the flow of Revelation making sense. If we start thinking that Jesus is this guy and that guy, it makes it real confusing. So again, another angel. Uh, and this mighty angel is holding an open book in his hands. Now again, like I said, it reminds us of the scroll that, that Jesus had, but John uses a different word here. When he described the scroll in chapter 5, and when he describes this little book here, it's a different description. And so again, it, it tells us it's not the same thing. So what is this little book? Uh, there's, a, again, a lot of opinions. I think that's one of the hard things about studying the book of Revelation is that there are a ton of ideas and a ton of opinions and all of these things. And it can be overwhelming that I've talked to people who are like, yeah, I did online research. And I'm almost like, don't do that. <laughs> You'll find every crazy idea that comes up first. You know, it's, it's like you got to sort through all the garbage to go like, oh, okay, that one actually makes sense. But all the, the nonsense ideas are the ones that seem to pop up first. Uh, so you have to also be careful where you're doing your study online. But uh, I think as we look at this, what this little book is, is so important. In fact, it's, it's the focus, I believe, of this whole chapter. This mighty angel sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. The idea of that is absolute and complete authority over all the earth. Again, this is one of the reasons people go, well, that's got to be Jesus. Because no angel has absolute, complete authority over the earth. 
it's not speaking of the angel's authority. It's speaking of the authority of the little book that he holds. It is the Word of God. And when we understand that, this all starts to make sense. The Word of God is given and is all authority. It is the final authority in all things. The Word of God. It is what God has used to convey who He is, what He's about, and the whole plan of salvation. Now, He can use other things. And certainly you look in the Old Testament and say like with Abraham. He spoke to Abraham. He visited Abraham. One of the times that Jesus appears in in the Old Testament is to Abraham. And, And so there are other ways he can convey his message, and he has in the past. But in our day and age, the greatest way that he conveys who he is and what he's about is through his word. Now, there are still gifts of prophecy. There's still uh, those things of the supernatural that reveal things to us, but they are held under the authority of the word of God. In other words, it'll never depart. It'll never be contrary to the word of God. It alone, this little book, has full authority and has literally traveled to every continent, over every sea. It has been taken to every place, not necessarily every people yet, but every place of the earth. Wars have been fought. Lives have been given to preserve this little book. It's intense. It reveals who we are, and we don't like that a whole lot. It tells us, state of mankind is fallen, broken, going off in a haywire direction. And we must receive healing and forgiveness. It only comes from the writer of this little book, right? It it tells us the love of God. It tells us the plan of redemption. It gives us the promises of heaven. And it gives us the prophecies to show that it is valid. Now, the greatest thing, people go, well, how do you know that the Bible's true? How do you know that all those other writings and those books that people consider holy, they're not just as true as the Bible? Because God has said, this is how you'll know I'm different from everybody else. I know the end from the beginning. And he tells us, gives us little snippets that we call prophecy to prove that it's true. Over and over again, one after the next, fulfilled. And this is part of what's going on here, is this angel, this mighty angel, holds the word of God in his hand, and he roars as a lion, or he cries out, and when he does, it's as a lion roars. Um, And it's this idea that all of this that's in here, all the information, all the prophecies, everything, are about to reach fulfillment. Now, it's interesting. There's a couple of things in here that I, in this chapter that you're just like, what is that all about? And the first one is that as the angel cries out, it says that the voices of the seven thunders speak something. And John hears it. Now, of all the mysteries that come up in Scripture, especially in the, in the book of Revelation, things that we'll look at and we have looked at and we're like, I don't really know what that's about. You know, we kind of make our best guess. But out of all of them, this is the one that drives me absolutely crazy. Because John heard it. He knew it was important. 
and he's about to write it down when suddenly a voice from heaven just goes, hey, John, don't write that down. And John's like, okay. Why did you say anything in the first place? Why not just say, hey, John, don't even tell anyone that you heard those voices. Just skip all that together because it's going to drive Jack crazy. <laughs> you know, when you have a friend that comes up and goes, oh, man, I got the best news. And they, oh, but I can't tell you. Why did you say anything, right? It's the same thing. It's like the Lord just goes, I know something that you don't. And now John does too. And John's like, oh, I could tell you, but I'm not going to write it down. You know? Uh, and, and I do ask, it's like, Lord, why is this even in here? Why say anything about it at all? You know, if we can't have the information, why, why bring it up? Um, you know, well, what was it? It's fun to guess. You know, was that statement or the thing that the seven thunders speak, was it the key to everything? The key to understanding all things of the book of Revelation? You know, was it specific times and dates and names? Well, that's too much for them. They can't handle that. Maybe. Or maybe it was something that we just would not get. And it would just bring confusion and division and that mankind simply couldn't handle it. The church couldn't handle whatever it was. And so the Lord says, don't write that down. Um, honestly, we just don't know. It still drives me crazy, but I think, <laughs> I think it's a great reminder to us. And, and this is actually the reason I think it's not completely recorded. Just enough to make us know this. That while the book of Revelation is giving us tons of information, we're, we're, like John, we're receiving the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. We're seeing him in a different way than we've seen him anywhere else in the Gospels or how, any way that he was described in the letters. And so we're getting this new understanding of Jesus, who he is, what his plan is, the future of mankind and end times. We're getting all of this stuff. But of all the things that we're given, we need to remember we're not given everything. Really, of all we're given, it's just scratching the surface. There's so much more to it than we understand by these things. It's all right. It's all true, but there's a lot more to it. And I think a good example is you think about the prophecies that were given about Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, over 300 prophecies about his life. And some of them are very uh, vague and others are very, very specific. And if you took them all you know, we take all of those prophecies, we go, wow, that's a pretty good picture of Jesus, of his life, of his ministry, death, resurrection, all those things. But it's easy for us because we know the story. We know how it all went down, right? But it wasn't that way for those before Jesus. Those of the Old Testament, they had those prophecies as well, and, and they could have studied them, they could have put them all together and go, okay, well, that's a pretty good understanding, but it was just scratching the surface of who Jesus is. Just scratching the surface of the life and ministry and what he would go through for us, right? It was a lot of information, but it was not all of it. And so I think the same thing uh, that is taking place here is that we're just being reminded that you're given a lot, but not all of it. There's going to be a lot more that, that goes on and that takes place. This is just scratching the surface. The seven voices remind us 
There's a lot more ahead. Now this angel cries out, and literally what it, it's not that he's speaking anything. It's, that it's like a yell, right? And then the seven, vo- the seven thunders speak. Uh, and then the angel that yelled out in verse 6, he does speak. And he's, uh, he swears by God and by all creation that there should be delay no longer. Again, all of these things are put in motion for the full fulfillment of the word of God. And it says in verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, as he declares to his servants the prophets. What is the mystery of God? The term comes up a couple different times in the New Testament. It speaks about this is a mystery or the mystery of God. Uh, first of all, we need to understand it's not the way we think of a mystery, you know, like a crime mystery where you're given little pieces and puzzles and you've got to kind of put it together, solve the mystery, that we're using our intellect to, to put it all together ourselves. That's not the kind of mystery that's being spoken of here. In fact, uh, this is something that is absolutely unknowable. It must be revealed. And so the idea is that God has this mystery that we could never know or figure out ever, no matter how long we tried, that it's only by the power of his Holy Spirit revealing it to us will it make sense. Okay? And so this mystery, uh, while I said it, it, it comes up a couple different times, the mystery of God, uh, there's a couple examples of it. Uh, one is that the mystery that the Gentiles would be saved. Another is the mystery that the relationship of Jesus Christ and his church is pictured in marriage. That same term of mystery is used there. But no matter which one you choose of those and others, the common themes that come with the mystery of God have to do with salvation and grace. That salvation, the redemption of our souls by Jesus Christ, is a mystery. We understand part of it. We understand that he loves us, that we owed a great debt, that he paid it, but we do not understand it fully. We don't know all that he went through to pay our debt. We like grace. What we understand, of it, once again, we, don't, we can't really understand what grace is all about. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's getting the love of God, eternity in heaven, all of these things that we could never earn given to us. But again, that's just scratching the surface of what grace is. And here this angel says that the mystery of God will be fulfilled. So here's what this is pointing to, is that the mystery is going to be completely revealed. The world will understand as much as they can the importance of salvation and of grace. But also there is a day coming where everyone who can be saved has been saved. And then the door is closed. And then the end comes, right? And that's what the angel is saying, is that this mystery that's been brought out there to mankind for so long and made available to so many, that it is reaching its completion as well. And there's a day coming where no one else will be saved. And we'll get more into that when we get to that part of Revelation. But it is not that God simply goes, okay, that's it. 
we're full. It's the idea that mankind reaches a point where they simply will never believe. And if God continued to let mankind exist for another 10,000 years after that, not one person would ever be saved. And so in that case, he brings it to an end. That this mystery of grace and salvation is going to be fulfilled. As I said, then the end of the tribulation will take place and the end of this age of mankind. There's other things that take place after the tribulation. Again, we'll get into that. But this age that we've lived in for so long will come to an end. All right. Verse 8. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go and take the little book which is in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, It's kind of funny, isn't it? I know I laugh too every time. Hey man, give me that book. I don't know why it's funny, but it is. Um, and he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many things, many people, nations, tongues, and kings. He's told to take this little book and eat it. And again, one of the things I find funny here is that John, without question or anything, just goes, okay. I'd be like, what? You want me to eat a book? And again, this is one of those things that's so important. When I mentioned, you know, people go online and like, oh, I looked at, you know, I was on the internet for two hours last night looking at what this little book is and all, and, and how you can go so far wrong. Because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The best commentary on the book of Revelation is the Bible itself. And it's important that we have a good understanding of the Old Testament to some degree so that we're able to to look into these things and not just go off on all these weird ideas and weird tangents and and stuff that's totally crazy. Um, Because there are some crazy ideas that people would say what this book is. Probably the most popular of crazy ideas, that is, is that the book is actually a drug. That it's mushrooms or some other psychedelic that John has to take so that he can continue this hyper-spiritual journey that he's on. I've heard it several times from people. You, don't need, you can search it if you want, but that's one of the big ideas out there that people go, oh, see, the Bible says that uh, the drugs are okay because John right here is eating this book. Nope. No, in fact, the Bible says very much the opposite. In fact, the idea of taking drugs for a spiritual experience is what the Bible calls witchcraft. That's the term pharmakia that comes up. It doesn't just mean taking drugs, or because I've had people say, oh, that means you can't even take an aspirin. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about taking in some sort of drug for a supernatural spiritual experience. It's witchcraft. It's sin. The, the Bible lays it out as being a horrible wickedness. 
That is not what's going on here. So why is John, given this instruction and without any problem at all, goes, okay, because John knew the Old Testament. And John would have thought of Ezekiel chapter 3. We're not going to turn there, but you might want to jot it down, read it for yourself. Because in Ezekiel chapter 3, this almost exact event takes place with Ezekiel. And so I'm going to read it to you. Ezekiel 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go. Speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with the scroll that I give you. And so I ate it, and in my mouth it was like honey and sweetness. See, that's why John could go, okay. Again, because he understands what it is. It isn't some random book. It's the Word of God. And Ezekiel understood it as well. Ezekiel took in the Word of God that he might give it out, speak it out to Israel. John is taking in the word of God that he might speak it to the world. And we understand that. We use terms like that all the time. You know, especially if you know you're going to be in a very difficult meeting. If you know you've got to speak a hard truth to someone you care about, what do you pray? God, give me your words. Put your words in my mouth. Right? And this is what's taking place. It's, it's something that we understand. And I think... Again, there's, there's such a beautiful picture here. Because with Ezekiel and with John, it talks about it being as sweet as honey. Man, when we, when we first get saved, and even as, as we grow in our walk, and we try and understand grace and salvation and the love of God, man, it is sweet as honey. It is just beautiful. And as you take those kind of deeper steps into the love of God, there isn't anything better. When you see people get saved, again, it's as sweet as honey. But at the same time, there is a whole other side to it. When you think about the price that was paid for our salvation, what Jesus endured on the cross, and the shame that he endured for us, not to mention those that will reject this gift of salvation. It is bitter. So much so that it makes your stomach hurt. The idea of somebody being lost forever. You know, Jesus told this parable, or it wasn't a parable, told a true story of Lazarus and the rich man. This is to bring out that bitter side of it. The rich man dies, Lazarus dies, Lazarus goes to the place of comfort, but the rich man goes to the place of torment. And in that place of torment, he calls out to Abraham and asks that Lazarus should dip his finger in water just that a drop of water might be put upon his tongue. And in all that time since he asked for that, he's never gotten that drop of water. He's still there. He never will ever get that drop of water. To me, that is one of those things that you take that in and you go, to those that will reject the gospel, it is is a heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching, 
thing. Yet people, not only in our day, but even more so in the day that John is seeing take place during the tribulation, where the gospel is made so clear, salvation is made so clear, yet they will reject and will not repent. I think for us it is a great reminder of how powerful and important this little book is. Again, it has full authority over all things. And it amazes me over time whether... Uh, really any, any aspect, whether it's science or archaeology or even mathematics, and people have said, well, see, this proves the Bible isn't true. Just give it time. <laughs> because they always come back around and go, oh, okay, I guess the Bible was right. Again, and again, and again, and again. Full authority over all things. I love it. And including, and even more importantly, it is true concerning eternity. The state of mankind and the need for forgiveness and salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. For us, I think, again, not letting how accessible this little book is allow it to seem common to us. Because never before in the history of mankind the history of the church has this little book been so accessible. You can buy it online. You can buy a case of them. You can have it on your phone. You have it on your tablet or your computer or anywhere else. It's amazing. But I think the problem with that is, is that it starts to feel like it's super common. And we forget lives, how many lives were given to make sure that we had a copy of this what people went through to keep it safe and to see it translated correctly and accurately. We need to be those taking it in. I love the picture of John devouring, literally devouring the Word of God. Man, take it all in. Letting the sweet parts be sweet and letting the bitter parts be bitter. It's okay. We shouldn't ignore one and only want the other. We need to take it all in. Because that's what is going to make us effective to bring it to a lost world that desperately needs it. Man. To share the word honestly. How it's affecting our lives. Things that we struggle with. Things that we wrestle with. Now the word of God has brought us back into line. I think it's so effective to be able to share that with the people we're around. Wherever that might be, whether that's in our home with our family, whether it's at the workplace or in schools or in our community, wherever it might be, that there is a lost and dying world and they desperately need this little book. And we need to be those who are giving it out while there's still time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be effective for you. We want this lost world to hear the good news of your salvation, the great love that you have for us, and how that no one will be turned away. God, give us opportunity. Give us the ability. Give us the bravery to share your love 
and your salvation with this lost world. God, that we would see heaven expanded, we'd see lives and we'd see souls saved by your power, by the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.